ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Preview Show. My name is Carl Birmage. I'm joined by my regular guest, Mr. Clay Richardson. Hey, what's going on, guys? Pleasure to be back again. And our very special guest, you know her on social media as G-Spot MMA. It is Gina Howison, joining us all the way from New York City. So we've got a bit of a continental lineup here. So thank you very much, Gina, for joining us on short notice. Oh, no problem. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I think you've chosen a really good show to join us with for the first time. We're going to be discussing UFC 252. For anybody who is new to the show, uh, we'll be having a look at all of the uh, prelim fights, um, just glossing over those in a little bit of detail. Then all of the five main card fights building up to our main event, where we see the heavyweight trilogy fight between Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier. Before we get anywhere though, I want to say once again a big thank you to everyone who has been supporting the channel over these past three or four years that we've been doing this. Um, we've had a lot of sort of uh, issues regarding the channel recently. I want to say thank you for your continued support. Uh, people will know that there are a few delays to when the next video will be coming out. Um, and again, I just want to say continue, for, uh, continue all the support you give us. If you want to invest in the channel, it's patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. And again, I hope that you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it. First place we need to start though, we are in the aftermath of another event which took place over the Apex and a big win for Derek Lewis in our main event up against Alexi Olenek and now the record holder for the most knockouts in UFC heavyweight history. How great was that fight last night? Who expected Derek to kind of grapple in the, <laughs> initially in the first round? <laughs> I didn't. I don't think he all. did it by choice. I don't think he did it by choice. But that man—that's probably the best submission defense I've seen in heavyweight history. Pretty I'm... much just because of his sheer size, though. I don't think it's and any the strength, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, I don't think it's really anything technical. <laughs> and I think as well, I think Derek is Derek's a strange one for me as a heavyweight because. I think mean, there's a lot of people that still don't take him all that seriously because he's maybe a bit jovial, maybe because he's a bit bit limited when it comes to some elements of the game. But the guy's won three fights in a row now. He seems to be ironing out some of those issues with grappling that he may have had beforehand. And again, big knockout win against a durable guy in Alexia Linick. I mean, we could be looking at... I'm, I'm not going to say that Derek Lewis is going to be fighting for a heavyweight title anytime soon, but... He's still in that picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think when you refer to the fans that don't take him seriously, you're actually speaking to one of them. And now I do take him seriously. I mean, due to his um, his ability to brawl, but also not being the most technical guy, and also just being able his takedown defense is pretty bad. But he just manages to get up with his brute strength. And someone that loves a technical fight kind of just looks at him like, is he really that good? Um, after last night, yes, he is really that good. And him and Francis Nagano, unfortunately, they might have to cross paths again because they're both on the come up. So, mm -hmm. so we might have to see them fight again, but it is time for us to take Derek a little bit more serious. And honestly, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't dislike the idea of Derek and Francis fighting again. I know what happened at UFC 226 that left a black, uh, dark mark on a lot of people. However... Mm -hmm. There was a lot of factors in that fight which made it a perfect storm. Dirk had a lot of back issues. Francis was a bit gun shy after what happened against Stipe. So there's nothing to say that if they were to fight again, all those issues behind them, Dirk and Francis could put yep. on the epic that we all thought it was going to be first time around. 
and take into consideration the harsh criticism from fans and Dana White and, and just about everybody who thought that fight was pretty much horrible because it was because it was like a staring contest. <laughs> so I think that that doesn't happen again solely because both have um, you know um, improved. And on top of it, we were pretty harsh on them for that first fight. So I doubt they go in there and stare at each other again. Well, certainly hope not. One of the, yeah. one of the things that reminds it sort of reminds me of was um, Melvin Mann who fought Rafael Carvalho in Bellator yeah. and their first yeah, fight was a stinker. <laughs> they ran the rematch back yeah. and it was a lot more competitive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think we see something similar in that. And and believe it or not, I think fighters uh, take criticism pretty harshly. Look at Verdun when he came out and fought um, Gustafsson. The fight prior to that. We were pretty hard on him. He looked bad. He, he had a terrible outing against Olenek, and then he came out and he smoked Gustafsson and submitted him immediately. What I'm, my point being is that Francis and uh, Derek probably remember the criticism, and they're not going to do it again. And mm -hmm. plus, this fight matters. Mm -hmm. They need to fight again. I'm with you, Carl. I think they need to rematch. And I think as well that result for Derek is going to be a big factor on what could be happening to the heavyweight division after this fight because assuming if, if DC was to win all likelihood is he's going to be vacating the belt straight away I mean you could do Stevie mm -hmm. versus Francis too for the vacant title or you could run right. Derek versus Francis I mean there's a lot of reports that Stevie might retire as well because he'll have nothing to prove if he beats DC again don't leave yeah. Overeem out he's on a great Overeem. report yeah I, you know and Overeem criticism from uh, Derek Lewis himself, who said, oh, he dodged me when we tried to get him to fight us. And Overeem was like, say what? That was an easy fight. So you got to throw him in the mix, and he's also surging in that division. I think they've booked Overeem against Sakai, so I think... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, never mind. I got excited. It's all There's also uh, Harris versus uh, Volkov that's happening pretty soon as well. Call me in all yeah, sure. yeah, 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 so that's happening as well. Um, other things that came out the Vegas card, Chris Weidman back on winner's form, good win for Darren Stewart as well, one of my boys, got a boot for all the Brits. Uh, yeah. The star for me though, Dariush. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Dariush is coming into his form as of lately. What is it, I think... Go ahead, go ahead. I think it's what, four or five wins in a row? And I mean, a lot of people wrote him off after he got starched by Hernandez. And I just mm -hmm. stayed somewhat loyal to him, I just thought, hey, he got caught cold by a guy who had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. This guy still has a lot about him. He's worthy of being in the top 15, in my opinion. And I hope he gets a big fight after this. Yeah, a lot of people point to that in the uh, the Barboza fight, because I, I think those were back-to-back. -back. No, wait, I think he had that fight with Evan Dunham, I think, maybe beforehand. That might have been... Yeah, I think that was after the Barboza fight, and then he lost to Hernandez. So, yeah, there was a yes, that little period right. that was a little bit rocky. But mm. everybody seems to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, he had an ugly loss to Edson Barbosa. Yeah. You, you know, when, when you lose in terrible fashion, they tend to remember that more than anything else. He did take a, mm -hmm. like a well-timed knee to the face from Edson Barbosa, and you're correct. And after that, he had a draw with Evan Dunham, and then a loss to Alexander Hernandez, who's not a you know a fan favorite. So he's taken some hard losses. But I, I, I'm with Carl here. We got to start paying attention to this guy. Five wins in a row. And he's knocking people out. This is someone that we know as a as a very dangerous grappler. And I'm kind of forgetting that he even fights on the floor because of the way he's been performing lately. Yeah, yeah I could see them doing a Dariush versus Oliveira. I could definitely see that I, being something. I'd like love that. that fight. 
Yeah. Immediately, yes. I, and I wonder, are they, well, he's available. He doesn't seem, um, Barish doesn't seem to have any injuries. He had a clear-cut victory with that spinning uh, back fist. Yeah. And I, I believe well. Oliveira is um, available. And even though he's on an incredible fight streak, fans do want to see him fight more before he goes for that title. So that would be a great I think the yeah we just don't know if he can get out of Brazil. That's the only real yes, thing. Yes. And I think as well, Oliveira, I think's built up that big enough streak that he thinks I shouldn't be yeah. fighting down the card anymore. I should be fighting yes. say like the Dan Hookers or the Tony Ferguson's mm-hmm. of the world. I think that's what he's he's thinking about yeah. right now. But also to keep in mind that um, Baruch he could also fight Diego Fiera. That would be a nice matchup as well. Another guy in a good form. Pretty cool. There you go. You know, there's plenty of matchups out there for him, even if Charles Oliveira now is, you know, he wants someone higher ranked. But we really have to start taking uh, Darius, you know, really serious here. So we talk about what we want for Benil Darius in terms of upcoming matchups. Is this mm-hmm. a matchup that we all want? Which was one which was announced on Thursday. Davison Figueiredo's first title defense will be taking place in November. A lot of people were speculating would it be Oscar Askarov, uh, Brandon Moreno, Alex Perez, some of the big flyweights which are coming up. Instead, the UFC throws us a curveball and gives us Cody Garbrandt, which I'm sort of a bit split about, to be honest. I think as a fight, it could be absolutely brilliant because you've got two big knockout artists for the weight class. However... Yes. Yeah, go ahead. However... It's the fact that you've got these guys who have worked really hard not only to reach the top of the flyweight division, but also to keep the flyweight division going. Because that was on life support for a long time. A lot of people weren't entirely sure whether the UFC were going to keep it around. And to see those guys have basically the two fingers stuck up at them and give it to a fighter who's one in three in these past four and never flogged a flyweight before, it just feels a bit... I don't agree with it from that perspective. Yeah, I'm one of those people that were calling for uh, Manel K versus Figueredo, but uh, I don't think the division's in that sort of state where you need to get somebody that hasn't even fought in the UFC yet to fight for a title. Like, it's not really a Joe Soto situation where they got to call some guy up at the last minute. But I, I would like to see Manel fight and then maybe get that title shot, but it's a little bit too late for that. Like, his first fight was originally scheduled for October, I think, but that got delayed, so... That's probably not happening for a while, but in terms of Garbrandt fighting him, I think it's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous, and I think it's just because of the marketable aspect Mm -hmm. of Cody Garbrandt. This is going to bring eyes and money to this pay-per-view, and I think that's what Dana's focused on. But what Dana's not focused on is that most fighters that go down a weight class and also struggle uh, with their chin, which is someone I think Cody Garbrandt, you know, struggles with being hit. Um... I don't know how well he's going to fare in a, in a weight class where he has to lose even more weight and also face someone that hits really hard and has knockout power. I'm really worried that Cody came back beautifully with that win over Rafael Sunstown and now could possibly be smoked by um, Figueredo. And again, we could be talking about his chin again. I just don't think this yeah. is a smart move for Cody, but I think this is going to be a lot of fun for the fans, though. I think... Even if you're a flyweight head and you love this division and it's really not fair that Cody gets to skip the line, how intriguing is this matchup, though, really? It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, and I definitely enjoy it from that perspective. I think it could be yes. a really interesting fight. At the moment, I favor Figueredo for the reasons you mentioned. How is Cody going to handle oh, yeah. 25? 
What I think is a good thing, though, is did you ever think there would be a time, like sort of when we were reaching the end of Mighty Mouse's reign as champion, did you ever think there would be a time where the Flyweights would be headlining a pay-per-view again? <laughs> no. 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 And it, the funny thing is, is that I love the Flyweights, but it just doesn't seem that, to be the consensus for most fans. They just don't like to see smaller-sized men technically battle it out. But I mean, what what is there to complain about now? Now you have a champion that is not only technical and flawless, but he's knocking people out in a way that fans like. So I, I get where Dana's going with this matchup because we're going to enjoy it. But I'm afraid you're going to kind of just get us worried about Cody again if he gets smoked. And then what's left for the flyweight division if you're already ignoring them with this new king on top. So I have my concerns, but I do think the fight is going to be hell of fun. And I think the other concern I have as well is if Cody was to win, can you see right. him sticking around to fight the Askarovs and the Morenos? Because my fear you know, is he's going to jump straight back up and try and get the Piotian fight. Yes, he is. He's going to try to be a double champ. He's going to want that under his belt. But I think what he's going to do is what most people do is not defend the first belt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's probably a bitch to, to you know, I, I'm assuming that it's going to be difficult for him to cut down. It's risky. And then it's probably really hard to defend two belts at the same time. So I think he'll just leave that belt alone, jump up to Bantamweight and fight Peter Yan for that, you know, that look, that double champ look. And it's just... You're not doing anything for the flyweight division when you abandon it to go fight a weight class up, and I'm concerned about that. I've never liked double champs. I've never... I can't stand them. I can't stand them either. Um, I think the only double champs that can really uh, keep going is probably Nunes and Bader. Because Bader, he's got, like, complete control over there. They let him not even defend that light heavyweight belt for three years. Like, I since, know. like, 2017, somebody brought that up, so... He's definitely got control over there, and I don't think yeah. I don't think Nemkov beats him. I think he's just unstoppable lately. Oh, Nemkov's I, not beating him. It, it'll, he'll put no. up a great contest, but he's not beating him. He doesn't have it, you know. And Bader has just looked incredible. I could see him. I, I don't know if he'll come back to the UFC. I, I don't know. I think he might stay there, but maybe in, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say like 10 Why years Why would he come back? You know, yeah. he's probably making so much money. He's a champ champ, but then he's beating up everybody he puts in front of him. He's not injured. He's mm. look at his fight against Czech Congo. I mean, it, it's just he's just smoking everybody. So it would yeah, be in his no benefit reason. to remain there. And being the big fish in the small pond, I think, improves his legacy more than being a top five, top ten fighter in the UFC would. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it makes him a better fighter. Like, granted, you can call the people that he's fighting cans and whatnot, but it gives him the ability to like try different things, just kind of implement his plan and dominate. And he's getting better and better. So that's all the stuff which is coming up uh, over the coming months. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko, she'll be defending on the same card as Figueiredo and Garbrandt. So that fight was also announced. Our attention, though, will be turning to UFC 252. We are just six days away from that card taking place. Um, fight taking place in Vegas, which has also been a big source of conflict, which we'll get to in the main event itself. That being said, though, when we actually look at the prelim fights, I know that the card was maybe a bit patched together on short notice, but this is weak. And then usually I'm quite supportive of the UFC when it comes to the prelims, but I think they could have done a lot better with this. Let me take a look. What, did, what specifically, what fights do you, has you turned off? Let's, let's I, get into it. I think in general, I think one of the things I always enjoy about the prelims is 
that you sometimes get a few ranked fighters on there. You sometimes get a few like guys like the Vincent Lucas or the Randy Browns of the world or sort of yes. unranked entertaining fighters. And I mean, you've got Jim Miller, who is still going strong, even at this stage of his career. I think him versus Vin Pichel, I think that could be an intriguing fight. Pichel had, he had a little bit of hype train going. That sort of got unstuck after he lost to yeah. Gregor Gillespie. That's um, true. Aside from that, though, I don't really think you've got all that much in terms of like name value or in terms of like just entertaining fighters. I mean, Herbert Burns is on a bit of a run himself. So, but apart from that, I'm struggling. Yeah. You're not a fan of Felice Herring? <laughs> I'm intrigued to see Felice come back because she's been out of the sport for two years now. She's had a, yeah. quite a few injuries. And I mean, she was on a decent run of form. I think she made it into, I think she was number eight when she fought Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was a competitive fight. Um, but I think she's from that sort of first generation of strawweight, where it was sort of the, the tough girl at the gym either. And I think okay. now we're getting to mixed martial artists. Correct. I agree. I totally agree. And I'm also, I'm skeptical, and I'm a little worried about that two-year break. Was mm -hmm. she injured? What was she going through? Ring rust? We all know the factors involved. And her opponent is pretty well-rounded. It's a winnable fight for Felice, but I'm like you, Carl. I'm looking at the um, prelims now. None of them are tantalizing to me. I think the Jim Miller and Vince Pichel fight is intriguing. Mm -hmm. Ashley Yoder versus uh, Lavinia Souza should be kind of cool. I like Souza. She's got a um, pretty decent run in Invicta and whatnot, and she's a... Uh, just hasn't really, to me, found her way in the UFC. She's a little inconsistent, so I'm curious to see how she does against Ashley Yoder. But I can't say I'm, I'm you know, drooling or anything like this for these players. I remember Yoder having quite an entertaining fight with Amanda Cooper. Um, that's probably her there big highlight. Yeah. Um, yes. I agree with you about Sousa. I think she's she's got potential. Um, yes. Especially from what she was doing in Invicta. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the other fights, though, we've got a couple of heavyweight fights. Dorkhouse and Porter are both um, UFC newcomers, so they're going to be making their debut. Um, I do rate Bernard Jandiroba. You sort of mentioned her a little bit in passing there. 15-1 record, only loss against Carla Esparza, which is nothing to be ashamed about in your UFC debut. Mm -hmm. do, I don't see her being like a UFC champion, but she could be like a solid top 10 fighter in a very strong strawweight division. I agree, yeah. And she's also pretty damn good on the ground. And what happened with Carla is that Carla has that ability to just control sure. people, even if you're a even if you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. She can control them and nullify that. And I question if Felice can do the same on the ground against her. And I think her path in, in victory might be on the ground, being that she's so good at it. But Felice is pretty tough, man. She's very strong. So like I said, intriguing matchup, yes. Am I drooling? Did I need it? Not really. There's a lot of those fights on this card, which is a yeah. bit of a shame. It sort of reminds me of those, and I don't want to sound awful, Claire, considering where you're from, but it sort of reminds me when the UFC go to Canada and you get the Canadian fighters <laughs> to sort of like stack up the prelims. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what happened when I went in Halifax. They had, uh, I believe they had Paul Felder up against like some Canadian making his debut and he got he got destroyed. That was like one of the most brutal knockouts on the card. So oh, wow. yeah, you definitely see that in Canada. <laughs> was Theodore on there? Yeah, he I... was. He was like uh he was like the co co main. He was like the third fight before the main card. There's the same names that always show up on those Canadian cards. You've always got like Theodore yeah. who's on there, Van der Marcos <laughs> who make an appearance, Gavin Tucker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think Gavin Tucker, he fought yesterday. He did. Am I right? He sure did beautifully at that, too. Yeah, I remember that was his debut when he fought on the card that I was on. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was his debut. A lot of people were calling him, like, the next uh, sort of Cody Garbrandt. And then I think he ran into, who was that guy? Um, he, oh, man, what was that guy's name? It was, like, Ricky something, something Glenn, something Glenn. I believe he fought that guy, and that's when when he took his first loss and he's been really? sort of on hiatus a bit let me look that guy up yeah and i liked his performance last night he got dropped i believe um in the fight and he was able to come back from that and mm-hmm. yeah take his opponent apart i was really impressed with his performance so that's our look over the prelims we'll move on to fight number one now of all the fights on this card i know a lot of people's focuses on the main event for me though Fight number one is the fight I am most looking forward to. We are in mm-hmm. the UFC light heavyweight division. It is Magomed Ankalaev taking on Ion Kutlaba, a rematch from Ooh, their fight yeah. early on in this year, where we saw possibly one of the worst stoppages in MMA history. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's funny you say that because, like, I, I the trial video that I did for MMA on point was like top ten, like worst stoppages in the UFC. So it's pretty funny that you bring that up because I. Pretty sure I had to edit that actually. <laughs> the Kutalabe fight. But yeah, that'll be an it, intriguing, uh, intriguing rematch. Excited yeah. for that. It was pretty egregious, that stoppage. It was like the reference to <laughs> or whatnot. It was, I couldn't believe it. And I was like in the middle of getting into it. Like I was just still kind of like almost throwing hands myself and was like, what's yeah. going on? Like, what are you stopping the fight for? But yes, sir, I'm ready for the rematch. Does anybody remember who the referee uh, was? Kevin McDonald. Okay, that makes sense a little bit. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm ready for this rematch, and also too, I like the fire that Ion brings. Like when he walked across that octagon and he just kept going and got in the guy's face, I cracked up laughing. And then for them to, and then you know, for Akalov to just kind of hook him and just turn him to the side, but still talk shit a little bit, was just great. You know, build up for that fight. So that anticlimactic finish that the referee ruined for us was horrible. But I wonder if this match, is Ian going to do it again? Is he going to act crazy before the fight? Is he going to play rope-a-dope again? Or did he learn his lesson and just go out there and kill him? Like, I'm intrigued. That's even the pre-fight build-up, I'm intrigued. I think that rope-a-dope, I think that was just an excuse that he used, to be honest. Really? <laughs> I, think, I don't think he was doing that on purpose. Who would do that on purpose? I wouldn't put it past uh, Kutalaba to do something like that, though. He's always been known for playing mind games when he's in there. So him sort of saying, oh, look at me, I've really hurt, I'm really hurt. And you've got to remember, I mean, it's fun to look back on now and say, oh, he was trying to play rope a But the commentators <laughs> bought it. Kevin McDonald obviously oh, really? bought it. Okay. So, yeah. Or maybe he was injured, but also playing rope-a-dope. Maybe he was a little, like, on, you know, front street a little bit, but not enough for him to, like, actually do the stanky leg, and he thought it was a good idea to kind of play it. You know, like, a lot of times when they get hit, you'll notice that they'll they'll talk shit yeah. back and be like, oh, no, that wasn't hard enough. And according to a lot of fighters, when fighters react, that actually means yeah. that you did hit them hard. Yeah. So I wonder, like, that rope-a-dope was him trying to be like, nah, you ain't hit me hard. But then he kind of did rope-a-dope too damn much and got the fight called. Well, isn't that what, but I, isn't that what Anderson did ahead. before the Weidman knockout? He sort of pretended to be a bit of yeah. wobbly legs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he yeah, did do that. Yeah, and, and you have to question if, like, are they stung for a minute and trying to show their opponent they're not so they overdo it with rope-a-dope? And I think that's kind of what happened with Ian. And don't forget, like, 
Eon was letting um, Ankalev just like kick him over and over again. I remember screaming at home like, <laughs> get out of the range. That kick is landing every time and you're not moving out of range, adjust. So I didn't quite understand that. Like it was like four head kicks in a row <laughs> or some shit. And I was shocked, but I'm in. I, I wanted this rematch. It was a huge mistake to call it off. But fellas, who do you think wins? Personally, between the two, I would probably favor Ankalaev. Um, Me too. Bookmakers going that way as well. Uh, Ankalaev at the moment is minus 305. You can get Kutalabra plus 235. With Ankalaev, we've got a 13 and 1 fighter. Now, he lost his UFC debut against Paul Craig, which was probably one of the great comeback wins, certainly since I've started watching it. Um, and I think it took a lot of time before Ankalaev really got his momentum back from that. Nobody was ever really talking about him and saying this guy's a potential champion. But he's won four fights in a row in the UFC. Um, eight of his wins in his career have gone in the distance. And surprisingly, considering, considering his background that he is from Dagestan, the guy's getting it done on the feet. He is a fantastic kickboxer, especially with his kicks. That left high kick, which he threw about 10,000 times in the Kutalaba fight, that's his big weapon for me. Yeah. And he has no submission wins in his, um, you know, um, career, his pro career as a fighter, which goes to show you, you are absolutely right. He might be from Dagestan, but he's killing people on the feet or he's winning decisions. You know, he knows enough grappling on what to get it done or whatnot. But his, uh, his uh, bread and potatoes, what he likes to do is knock people out. And I do think that he's going to be a problem for um, Eon as well. I think once that cage closes and Eon stops talking shit, I think it plays out the same way it did before. I, I thought Ankalaev was in control before the rope-a-dope. And I think Ankalaev as well is a bit more of a technician than Kutalaba. I think Kutalaba yes. just, he, he enjoys the brawl. He likes, enjoys getting in the clinch and yep. turning it into a bit of a dirty fight. Whereas Ankalaev, he switches stances, he knows how to throw the kicks, he's got a fantastic left mm -hmm. jab. Yeah. Yeah, it could be actually a more technical fighter versus like the brawler, like you said. But I think the writing was on the wall in the first fight. He was in complete control before that mess. And I think we just see that play out again and he wins quick, um, quite fairly easy, to be honest with you. I'm going with Ankalaev with this one. What would you say is Kutalaba's biggest strength, though? I mean, we've got a 15-5 and five fighter. Um, he is... Uh, well, they call him the Hulk for good reason, because that's, that's mm -hmm. a per perfect representation of his fighting style, just this big, manic brawler who likes to get himself riled up to get the best out of himself. He's got himself some good wins as well. I mean, Khalil Roundtree, considering all the hype he oh, yeah. had going into that fight, yeah. to shut him down yeah. in round one, I think was very impressive. So... It's not a pushover fight for Ankalaev. Kutalaba does have a lot of qualities which I think could cause problems. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying that you know, Kutalaba isn't going to bring it or whatnot because we all know that he is. Because, remember, he took Jared Cannonier to decision. That's, that's big. You know? And Rock Glover. And also, there you go. So you have to take... I hate MMA math, but sometimes you do have to take <laughs> into consideration MMA math, right? Like, sometimes you do have to use it. And I'm telling you, even his loss to Glover Teixeira, I, I, I thought he was not winning the fight, but he was fighting well against mm -hmm. Glover, then he got caught. And then he also, I think his fight IQ at times is pretty good. Like, he kind of knew to expose Khalil Roundtree. I mean, he's a, mm -hmm. he's a prominent, strong Muay Thai practitioner, but he has some problems with grappling it on the ground. And 
Eon went straight for it and, and handled it. Even though it was a TKO win with elbows, he did clinch him up a bit and get him down on the ground and get him against that cage. So I think the problem here with him is that he's well-rounded and he's aggressive and he's going to come straight forward. I just think Magomed Ankalov is just the better technician, mm. the better practitioner, you know. But I do think that um, Eon's, you know, his... Um, his ability on the ground and his fighting in the clinch could also be a problem. But I still think Ankalov takes it. I'm leaning that way as well. I think that mm-hmm. I think it could be a lot more competitive than some people are making out to be. But considering yeah. what I've seen from Ankalaev in his UFC career, where he really should be 5-0 and in the UFC if it wasn't for Paul Craig being Paul Craig. Yeah. The one thing... And there was that Hail Mary... Um, Triangle, correct? At the at the end of the third round, I believe. That's pretty scary stuff. I have to say, though, from a personal perspective, Paul Craig has to be one of my favorite light heavyweights on the roster. He's not the best fighter <laughs> in the world, but you know you're going to get something strange every single time he's out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I like about him? The fact that he goes for a submission and he does not give up. And yeah. I think people, we need to talk about that more. And I've even heard Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners say it is amazing that he just holds on to something for so long and can beat you with it. Most people that practice jiu-jitsu are going to give up on that triangle, especially while they're being, you know, pummeled. And he just doesn't let go. He sees it, he wants it, and he gets it. I think Paul is, is fascinating in that aspect. And I think it would be, part of me, part of the reason I want Ankalaev to sort of become a big star is, could you imagine if Ankalaev becomes UFC champion and that one next to his name is Paul Craig? He sort of becomes the Stephen Struve to sort of like <laughs> Ankalaev's steep here. Yeah. And, and I think Eon's fun too. Didn't he come out as the Hulk one time? As a, as I a think kid? so, yes. Yeah, then he like walks across the stage and causes trouble. He talks big shit. He screamed in um, Khalil Roundtree's face out of nowhere. Like it even, me and Khalil were like, shut the hell? Like, what, did he just scream in that man's face? Like, I think he's just kind of fun outside the fight game, too. Like, he's he's good for the fans, you know? So if he beats Uncle Ivan and he he makes his way up, I look forward to it because I like his little zaniness outside of the cage. The one thing this confirms to me is light heavyweight is a lot better than people give it credit for. Like, I can't say mm-hmm. the top five right now is as good as it was, say, 2015, 2016. But you look at guys around that sort of lower top 10, you look at people like Pohovska, Alexander Rakic, Volkan Uzdemir, Ankalaev Kutalabe. And we have a newcomer now, right? Jerry? Yeah, Yuri. Yeah, Yeah, Yuri. I'm terrible with names, fellas, so help (laughs) me out if you hear me struggling, or it's okay to clown me too, but uh, Jerry, who just, um, he just clobbered up. What's his name? There you go. I mean, he's he's a wonderful addition. Can you imagine you start matching him up with a Rakic or... I just... I think you're totally right, Carl. I think at, at one point, the, the you know, the um, lightweight division, excuse me, the heavy lightweight division was a little like, oh, I'm a little bored here. But now with um, Jerry and Eon and Ankalov, I'm getting, I'm getting excited again. I'm in exactly yeah, the same Yeah, I was board. one of those people. I was pretty excited for Yuri versus Corey Anderson, but I guess he's fighting Bader now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good move for him, but yeah, that would be kind of cool for it to me for, to see him fight Bader. So, oh yeah, they're definitely going to do it. If he gets a win in his debut, they're totally oh, yeah. going to set him up. <laughs> and I think Bader smokes him. 
to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah I think that's a bad fight. I think yeah. that's a bad fight. So we have to put our money where our mouth is. Um, I want the winner and I want the round. Oh my god, I'm so terrible at the rounds. Um, listen, call me crazy, but I think um, Akhlov gets it done in the first round. I think it's going to be just like the first fight. He's just going to just figure him out in the range really quickly and put him out. So I'm going to go first round, possibly TKO. I know that sounds crazy. I'm going to say second round knockout Ankhlaev. Mm -hmm. You're thinking like me, either first or second round. Uh, Carl, I got the same as you. Second round, knockout, and Goliath. I'm pushing it with the first round, huh, fellas? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I very seldom go for first rounds. I just always Well, go. yesterday I put uh, Derek Lewis versus uh, Olenek. I put first round knockout and verdict MMA. I wish I put second, man. I still got some XP, but... Hey, you almost got close there, Derek. Uh, if he didn't have to spend time trying to get back up from those scary submission attempts, he might have got it done. You could tell the game plan was to go out there and just hit him hard. Yeah, yeah. Half the round was it spent on the ground. That probably would have happened. Yeah, I, I think the writing, again, the writing was on the wall. And I think he did his homework and looked at the um, Walt Harris tape as well. It was a similar. Yeah, very similar. Different, yeah, different. Uh, Walt Harris prefers the left hand, um, I believe the left hand overhand, or and then Derek used the right hand after he flew the flying uh, knee. So to me, yeah, that goes Linux. to watch tape. Yeah, Olenek doesn't seem to do good when he gets pressured like that really hard. Yeah. He doesn't seem to do very good. Yeah, I think what they realize is that if you blitz him, then that leaves him open yeah. for like a hard, you know, um, not a cross. I, I'm so early, fellas. Y'all got me talking about <laughs> MMA when I would be sleeping. Um, <laughs> but you guys get my point. It looks like if you blitz him and distract him, you yeah. can come across with a yeah. really hard power punch after blitzing and distracting him. And that's what we saw. It was a repeat performance from Walt Harris to Derek Lewis. We move on to fight number two on our main card though, and we are going down to the UFC Bantamweight division. And it's one of those great sort of veteran versus prospect matchups, which the UFC always like to do. We've got John Dodson taking on, I hope I get this right, Mirab Dibalashvili. Uh, George is on, best representative in the UFC right now. Um, bookmakers for this one are actually favoring the prospect. You can get Dibalashvili at a minus 190 favorite, Dodson coming in at plus 155. And after a lot of dominant performances, a lot of them on these sort of fight nights, very active fighter as well. Davalish Philly finally gets that sort of big name fighter, which a lot of people feel he deserves. Oh yeah, I think he definitely deserves John Dotson next. I think this is wonderful development on the UFC's part. And I can see why he is the favorite here. His wrestling is, is you can't stop it. No one seems to have been able to figure that out. I mean, four wins in a row and all in the same way, decision, wrestling, and he stays busy on the feet when he's not trying to take you down. And this guy does not run out of gas. I'm going to pick Marab, but I'm telling you, he's going to have a really hard test on his hands with John Dotson because of the speed and the veteran experience of John Dotson. Mm -hmm. This guy knows what to do against somebody like Marab. And let's not forget, he's fast as hell. You know, even with, you know, his, his very lucrative career, he hasn't really slowed down. But I'm still picking Marab, but John is going to bring it, and that, feed, that speed is going to play a huge factor. What do you guys You think? covered a lot of the points I, I've had as well about Marab. I think the mm. wrestling has obviously been his big forte, and I think, I think last time out Correct. he broke the record for the most takedowns in a bantamweight fight. 
Um, mm -hmm. I feel I like he's used corner cutting to pressure his opponents against the fence. And yes. the wrestling as well, it's not just one round and then he gasses out. He can keep up this pace for a good 15 yeah. minutes. And he doesn't just take you down. He doesn't, it's not predictable. He's busy with his hands too as well. Like, he, can I say that he's a knockout artist? No, but I'm telling you, he's going to set those up with some punches. And he's, he, he's, a, he's a cardio monster. So he's coming at you with all that pressure, throwing punches at you. And the next thing you know, he's taking you down and he can do it consistently because he has weaponized his cardio. I, I'm, like, again, like I said before, I'm going up the rock. And when he does take you down as well, he's trying to make something happen. He's busy. I think there's a lot of yes. people who they'll get somebody down and they're content to lay in the guard or lay in prayer, wall and store, whatever you want to call it. Mirab mm -hmm. isn't that kind of fighter. If the opportunity is there for him to go for a submission, he will try and take it. It's maybe been a bit lacking in the UFC. If he gets that side of his game sorted, he could be a, a major force for the top five or the top six in the division. I agree. Yep, I'm on board. In terms of John Dodson though, I think a lot of people are maybe writing him off a bit too much because we've got a guy here who, at flyweight, he was one of the most dangerous strikers in that division. And you could argue for a good time, he was behind Mighty Mouse in terms of the top guys in that division. Bit more inconsistent mm -hmm. when it comes to bantamweight, but you've got wins over TJ Dillashaw up there, Pedro Munoz, and I think a big win over Nathaniel Ward last time out. Because a lot of people went yes. into that fight thinking Nathaniel's the next big thing in this division. And Dodson said, hey, there's levels to this. You're not blowing through me that quickly. Got that third round knockout. And a lot of people said, hey, this guy's still a threat. Yep. And he really is. He, if you look at his record, he's lost to Peter Yan, Jimmy Rivera, Marlos Marias, John Lineker, Demetrius Johnson. These are names nobody should be ashamed of. And that goes to tell you, his veteran experience plays a huge role in these wins. He's only really losing to top-notch men. So that's why I think Marab is going to have his hands full, and this is the test that Marab needs. I hate to call any fighter a gatekeeper because, you know, I don't really like calling anyone a gatekeeper, but John Dobson is that person. You get past him, and Marab is going to be ready for even harder challenges. But Marab has his hands full. This guy only loses to top-notch people, and I think the fans seem to forget that because he's not really on title contention. But he's pretty damn good, and he's he's really fast, and he's not slowing and down. And he's competitive in those fights as well. Like, a lot of people yes. forget he dropped yes. Piotian in that fight. Yes, because he's very fast, and he can see openings that a lot of people cannot, and he's able to strike and get the hell out of there. And then he, he also follows up. I think he's a pretty dangerous fighter, to be honest with you. I've always thought so, and even though he's at the gate level keeper, he's like the perfect gatekeeper. Like it's 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 gonna be a hard test to get past him, and I and I like that. I like his position as a gatekeeper, even though I hate saying it. Do you think he's maybe become a bit bit cautious since moving up to bantamweight? Because it was certainly yes, a, there was certainly a lot. I think when you look at the flyweight fights, he was a lot more aggressive when he fought down there. You look at the way he started against Mighty Mouse in their first fight, and you sort of want John Dodson to keep being that guy. But for whatever reason, maybe it's age, maybe he's taking a few too many big shots. Yes. Listen, I think a lot of fighters wisen up, especially when you have someone that has a career like John Dotson. 21 wins, 11 losses, no draws. That's a lot of fight experience. So I think what we, we see when fighters kind of switch up their style is that they want to take less damage. You know, they want to also be 
They want to win fights without brawling or just going through all the drama and all the pain and all the injuries. So that's what I'm thinking. And that's what I call veteran experiences when somebody can get the win but not take as much damage, when somebody is just fighting smarter. And I think that's what's going on with um, John Dotson. I just don't think he's, you know, someone that can contend for the title or, or even be a champion right now. But he's still really damn good. Certainly so. I mean, when you look at the people that he's lost to, I think that's evidence of yep. that. Yeah. The big yeah. question for me in terms of Dodson is how is he going to handle the wrestling? Because we've seen what Murab has done against lower-level opposition, just dominating them when he takes them down. But Dodson himself was a two-time state wrestling champion. So he knows how to handle the grappling side of the game. Maybe he doesn't use it as much in MMA, but... Yeah, I, I do think that he has the grappling experience. <laughs> But just not, I just think Marab is, is going to be too much for him. Because Marab, you know what the thing is? Marab doesn't slow down. There won't be mm. at any point in the fight where the wrestling goes down or he gets, he slows down and that pressure ceases. And now John can like, you know, pick him apart or, or even mix things up. No, I think Marab is just going to stay in his face and continue with that wrestling. And it's just going to be too much. I'm in the same boat. I think yeah. that... I can see John Dodson causing problems early in the fight. Absolutely. And I think he might stuff a few takedowns early on. But if Marab keeps up the pace in the way that he's shown in these past couple of fights, I think Marab will take it. So my personal opinion, I'm going to be saying Marab. I was... 30-27. 30-27. Question, question, though, before I make my final pick. Um, how do you? Let's say John Dodson does win. How do you think he does it? What's his path to victory? Because there's always a path to victory. I think he's got to stay on the outside. He's got to use his speed, and I think he's got to try and chip away at Marab, not right. give him the opportunities to try and close the distance to get the takedowns up against the fence. Right. Easier said than done. I think John has the speed to do it, but Marab's just relentless. Too, yeah, too much. And how is Marab's shin? It's pretty, pretty decent, correct? I think, yeah, I think it's fairly decent. I haven't seen him in any trouble in some of his earlier fights. The only, times he's, the only times he's lost in the UFC was against Frankie Sines, which was his UFC debut, and that was a split decision. And then there was the fight with Ricky Simone, where he was dominating that fight. Simone caught him in a submission later on. Yes. The fight actually ended, but they gave it to Simone after the fight because they determined that Murab was out. Oh, yes, I remember now you're bringing that back. True, yeah. true, true. Yeah, and also, too, you know, I was thinking, don't forget that little flash. I, I don't know if it was a knockout, but, you know, I'm doing this off the top of my head. He did catch TJ pretty hard. Don't forget he's got some dynamite in his hands, too, if he can land flush. He's knocked some people down. That was why I wanted to know about Mirab's chin, because I do think he's going to catch Mirab's chin at some point. Do I think he's going to knock him out? I don't think so. So I'm going to go... Um, I think, you know, decision all around, um, all, all, all cards will go towards Mirab. I think decision win here. He's going to out-wrestle him and stay in his face all night and do what Mirab um, smashes. So that's what he's going to do. Smashing is pretty much a trend when it comes to uh, Eastern European fighters these days, isn't it? Yes, yes, <laughs> it really is. What about... I'm here for it. I don't complain too much about it. I, I find the Dagestan fighters, the, the grapplers, I find it all very fascinating. But go ahead. And yourself, Claire? Yeah, you guys described it perfectly. I'm going to 
Go with Marab on that one. 3027. No, it's okay. You guys describe it way better than I could. We, we seem to like agree on this. I'm not used to this, guys. I'm used to arguing on the podcast. <laughs> this, is very, this is very nice. I, I am enjoying this. We're a nice big happy family here. <laughs> right. Beautiful. It's, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not we do agree for fight number three. I think this one could be a little bit more divisive in terms of who we think is going to win this one. We're going up to the heavyweight division. Uh, it's the number five seed Junior De Santos who's taking on the number six Jarzinho Roizenstrike. Uh, two guys both coming off losses, uh, both recently victims of Francis Ngannou's reign of terror. Uh, Roizenstrike yes. is the minus one sixty favorite for this one. You can get JDS a plus one thirty. Oh man, um, Clay, how about this? Since you're so <laughs> quiet, you go first. I feel like I'm doing all the talking. What, you, what are your thoughts, Clay? I like, um, I've been seeing pictures recently of Junior. It looks like he's been getting really ripped in the gym. Looks like he looks shredded, like a, right? Yeah, it looks like a completely different uh, physique, pretty much. He looks shredded. It looks like he's doing pretty much some different things with his health because uh, in the last fight with uh, Francis, I think he was, uh, or not with Francis, with Blades, he looked pretty, uh, don't want to say fat, but he looked thicker than usual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't really look like you would in like the Marcon fight. Like he looked way more ripped in that fight. So I do like the way that his uh, physique is changing. It's going to be pretty interesting to see. But Rosenstrike, uh, I think it's going to be a really big problem for him. Definitely. I agree. I agree. Fellas, I, I, I'm going to pick um, Rosenstrike here. And I'm going to pick him firmly and confidently. But the reason why I'm going to do that is because I find that JDS is making horrific mistakes mm -hmm. in his in his fights. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you, this uppercut, he wants to land for some reason against <laughs> Francis Naganu and also Curtis Blades. There were so many mistakes he was making. And it kind of shocked me because he's such a good kickboxer that I was like, what is going on? And I almost feel like his fight IQ is declining. Some of the things that I saw him do against Francis is why he was laid out on the floor like that. It was just horrendous. And I don't think he can make that type of mistake against Rosenstruck. And I think Rosenstruck is coming off a very embarrassing loss. He was on his, you know, like every, the momentum, he had all the momentum going. I think he knows that he's going to have to smoke this dude to get all that momentum back and make his way back up. And I think Junior DeSantos, although he looks shredded, he looks wonderful, and I'm sure he's working pretty hard. He makes, for just for some reason in this point in his um, career, he's making awful mistakes that result in KO losses. And I think we see it again. I think maybe a, a factor that plays a part is I think the JDS finds a lot of success early on in these fights, and maybe he starts getting a little bit complacent about how good he's doing because. I remember with the Francis fight, he landed a couple of good low kicks to Francis early on, and you can see yeah. that Francis just briefly just like sort of stumbled. He didn't, he didn't like it. Yep. He didn't like it at all, and I think JDS maybe thought, hey, I've got him on the ropes here. And against Curtis Blades, he was probably the first guy for a long time who I've seen sort of deny Curtis Blades um, wrestling. And again, I think he maybe yeah. thought, hey, I've got this guy sort of on the ropes here, I can maybe be a bit more um, wild when it comes to striking. But, I mean, leading would have not cut. And that is what I um, scares me. You articulated so much better than me. That is what I mean by that decline of fight IQ. I feel like the JDS that fought Kane and, and, and the JDS that tore people up, or even that uppercut to Verdue was timed, it was perfect and measured, but now it's just 
it's different now when he's throwing those uppercuts or he's making these mistakes very early on. I almost see like age, you know what I yes. mean? Like he's, he's going down a bit here. And I don't think that's where Rosenstruck is at all. So that, you know, that's why I'm going to pick. I don't trust Junior is what I'm saying. Which is such a strange thing that we bring up age when it comes to JDS, considering he's what? He's only 35. So he's a baby when it comes to the heavyweight division because most of them are like in their yeah. 38, 39 years old. But those wars, mm -hmm. bro, that's what I mean. Like those beatings, especially the Kane beatings, where, uh, you know, he's been in some shit. Excuse my language, you know, so... Although he's like at prime heavyweight age and I, and 35 is young, it's far from old, but we're talking Junior Dos Santos here, you know? And he, he even look at his last loss, it was, it was really, uh, his last two losses, they were scary and violent, you know? It takes a toll on you. And I don't, I don't think that one loss that Rosenstruck suffered at the hands of Francis Zagano is gonna set him back too far. And I think he knows what to do and he's gonna get it done. And I think it gives us the opportunity to talk about that loss in a bit more detail because we, me and Claire, when we did the 249 preview, we hyped up <laughs> Ngannou versus Voice and Strike this song, like power, for, power versus precision battle. It was going to be the most eagerly anticipated fight of the night. And 20 seconds later, um, Voice and Strike lined up against the fence. Francis gets another sub-minute knockout. And it was brutal and it was also like not very technical at all like francis was just like fuck that i'm not excuse my language i'm knocking this guy out his chin was out he was brawling and then he just he just smoked the dude i was just kind of shocked there was no feeling out process nothing. have you ever seen that clip on the simpsons where bart's just wailing his arms at lisa that's what it was like <laughs> <laughs> yes that's a good comparison yeah it was even though Francis knocked him out and we that's what Francis does does, I was still shocked that he came forward like that with and he was not defensively sound no. at all doing it either. So believe it or not, even though the knockout was beautiful, I was a little worried, like, my man, you can't do that to everybody. So just be careful. You know, there's no way he could do that to a Stipe. There's no way he could do that to someone that is, you know, prepared for him. And I just think he just I think he just blitzed the dude and he caught him off guard. Co but great work. Considering there was all this sort of build around this being sort of new Francis who's more technical, who doesn't rely on brute strength. Yeah. Right, just going right. back and saw like wild flailing arms. Yeah, and, and it's so interesting that he did that against someone that is a known mm -hmm. kickboxer. It was almost like disrespectful, like I don't care about your kickboxing record or what you've done. I'm coming in here with my chin up and I'm going to hit you harder. And that's what happened. And I was shocked because you would think there would be like a feeling out process. Rosenstruck is an excellent heavyweight kickboxer and he moves quickly. He's a little bit nimble here. This is a big dude that moves light on the feet and he definitely has that kickboxing experience. So I expected Francis to like feel him out and him to think, nope, Francis went right to it. And like I said, I think Rosenstruck is gonna rebound from that. I think there's a lot to learn about If that. there's one- Believe it, even though it was that short. If there's one thing that I've sort of identified about Royce and Strike early in his career, he does handle adversity mm -hmm. very well. We saw that in his debut. Yes. He fought, I think it was Junior Albini, and he struggled yes. in that first round, but he managed to get over that came back to get the knockout in the second, and then against Overeem, Overeem was, looked like he was gonna be taking a decision win, but he's kept there in the game go. and get, got the knockout early on. This is what I'm saying. You, you, you take everything that I say and you clean it up so well, I love it, the <laughs> adversity. You're one of the first the people to ever say that. <laughs> well, thank you, 
thank you. We work we work well together. I love this because I'm just rambling and giving all these adjectives and you're just like, no, adversity, thank you. That's exactly what I mean though. Like this is the guy that makes the proper adjustments to win. I was there at that fight um, when he fought over Reem. And I remember just like, I was covering it, you know, me, for media. And I'm in the back stuffing my face and eating and watching the fight on the monitor away from the fans. And, and I was just like, wow, Overeem's going to win this. And no, he just adjusted and waited for Overeem to get a little sloppy and a little tired. And he nailed him. And I just don't think JDS is going to last with somebody like Rosenstruck. And it's adversity again. He just took a horrific loss. The man's going to come out here and make another statement. And this is someone that wants to title contend. And you're giving him somewhat of like a gatekeeper, one more shot at the title type of guy. I think he's going to make a statement. I'm in the same boat. Um, if there's one issue I do have with Royce's strike, um, I don't think he has the best takedown defense. But I don't think JDS has that wrestling game to try and exploit that. I don't see him changing things up. Um, no, this will be a kickboxing match. Hopefully this will be a kickboxing mm -hmm. match. Um, and I think it could be a very entertaining kickboxing match because we've got two... We've got Royce and Stryker, I think, is a real technician. JDS, who has some of the best hands in the business. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I don't think JDS has the chin anymore. And I don't think he has street smarts to fight, yes. fight the perfect fight against Royce and Strike. So I'm going to say Royce and Strike, and I'm going to say second round. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Clay. What's your what? What do you say? Well, uh, did I tell you, Carl? I'm pretty sure my friend. I, I got him to bet fifty dollars on Rosenstrike in the Nganu fight. <laughs> I got him to put down fifty dollars, like twenty minutes before the fight happened, because uh, I think he watched the podcast <laughs> when we previewed that. <laughs> but yeah, he's pissed. He's pissed. But yeah, in terms of this fight, uh, you guys definitely put it right, JDS. He's He's sort of lacking late in his career. Yeah, it's not it's really the same. On. Yeah, it's not really the same guy. He's not really fighting the same smart way. And uh, yeah, I could definitely see this being a bad matchup for JDS if he doesn't have the proper game plan. I could see him maybe trying to do some takedowns on uh, Rosenstrike. That's just a no-brainer if I'm fighting Rosenstrike. Yeah, he try. better set those up. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying. You know, he better. I understand. I can see that too. I, I hear you, Clay, because I have, you know, sometimes we think it's going to be a kickboxing match, and then somebody who's like, well, this guy sucks at wrestling, they'll actually turn into a wrestler or whatnot. But it's like, just make sure you're on point, because with a striker like Rosenstruck, make sure you set those takedowns up. And I wonder if JDS in this age can even do that, being yeah. that grappling is not even his. You know, yeah, like what's the last time we saw him uh, shoot for a takedown? I can't hear Right, him. right. And it's like, I could see him being silly enough maybe to even concentrate on takedowns a little bit this camp just to kind of throw Rosenstruck off. But is he at an age where he can do mm. that? Is he that good that he can implement wrestling in his game? And I don't know if I was his trainer, I'd just go for like the knockout or maybe a technical, you know, kickboxing match rather than to have him start fooling with takedowns at this age. But we've seen we've seen this before, so we never know, fellas. The one that sticks in my mind was uh, when Holly fought uh, Megan Anderson. Nobody expected yes. Holly to become a wrestler. And expect um, Holly to become a wrestler when she fights Irene Aldana as well. I have a feeling she's going to put her in the clinch and try to wrestle her because one thing about Holly is that she is strong as an ox. 
So she, and she definitely tries to use that to her advantage, whether her wrestling skills are up to par or not. She's definitely going to try to outmuscle you. And I could see her doing that with Irene as well, because you don't want no parts of Irene's hands. She's got beautiful boxing. Claire, which way are you going for the um, for the Royce and Strike JDS fight? I'm going with the uh, Royce and Strike. I think it's going to be, I'm not going to say first round. I'm going to say second round. TKO. Me too. And if it makes your friend feel better when it comes to bad uh, betting predictions, I put money up. Oh. I put money on Anthony Smith to beat John Jones. Okay. Like I was for like Whoa. six, seven to one. I just thought, you know what, I might as well. So when Jones is, cl- I think Woodley, I think Woodley put ten thousand on Jessica I when she fought <laughs> Valentina. So. That makes sense as to why Woodley said he mismanaged his money. <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy. <laughs> mind my business. Mm, interesting. Co-main event time. Uh, we are going down to the Bantamweight division once again, and we have got the big flavor of the month, Sean O'Malley. He's back in action once again up against Marlon Chito Viva. I mean, forget about Amanda Hebas, forget about Kamzat Shemaev. This is the UFC's big darling right now. They're putting him in the co-main? The co-main, I thought the that would co-main be... event. Yeah, I thought that would be like Junior Dos Santos versus Rosenstrike. I thought that would be... <laughs> I thought that would be much better, but... I right. think it's a real testament to how much faith the UFC do have in O'Malley. Yeah. And I think as well, UFC 250 was... I think that was intended to be sort of this big breakout moment because he was taking on Eddie Wineland, who had a bit of a name behind him. But because nobody bought UFC 250, I think they're trying to redo it again. So he's co-main <laughs> up against Cheeto Vera, so... Oh, man. I, I, this is this fight intrigues me, and I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I, I'm having trouble picking this. I need to watch more fight footage, and thank God we have six days to go because I have so much more footage to watch. Um, I'm leaning towards Marlon, but that might change after I watch a couple more fights. But I'm leaning towards Marlon. I think it'll go to decision, and the reason why I'm leaning towards Marlon is because this guy is scrappy as fuck, bro. Excuse me. And, um, it's all right. It's YouTube. Yes. Oh, thank, I still thank Dude, Jack for so much in my show. Um, I just think he's that scrap. I think he's that dude that's just well-rounded, stays in your face, and he's a danger. He's a threat anywhere. And I also think um, he's got the right attitude for MMA. Do, you, do you, you know what I mean? I think mentally he's strong, too. I don't think he cares that Sean O'Malley is the hottest thing out. I don't think he cares about that Eddie Wineland knockout. I don't think Sean is going to be able to faint and, 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 you know, trick this guy like he did Eddie Wineland. And I think Marlon is going to stay in his face and give him that test that Sean O'Malley needs. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I think, you know, if Sean can get his timing down and whatnot and and, and make this a... a, a you know, a competitive fight, absolutely. I think that's what's going to happen. But I think this is going to be like some really ugly, close decision. What are your thoughts, fellas? Uh, Mind you, also keep in mind, I could switch. Next week when you <laughs> listen to my show, I might have a whole thing on why Sean might win because I still need to watch fight footage. And I just, I don't know. I'm already getting nervous just talking to you guys, but go ahead. I'll let Claire lead this part. Yeah, Carl, these notes that you gave me, you got it as uh, Sean O'Malley versus Max Holloway. <laughs> you just copied over the last three. That, that'll be coming. That'll be coming. Don't worry. If Sean O'Malley becomes champion, they'll do a Max yeah. Holloway fight. <laughs> right, right. They know we'll book it. <laughs> no, but I, I think this will probably be... I'm not someone that's on the hype train, but I feel like Sean O'Malley could, he, could get this done. I feel like he could get the yeah. knockout in an impressive fashion. Ooh. 
I just think he's got that Swagger. that factor about him. He's got that it You're factor. You're a believer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a believer. I think I've watched a couple of his Twitch streams before. I think he posted a video where he actually sparred with one of his uh, Twitch subs. So he's pretty good on YouTube as well. Yeah. So <laughs> I think uh, I'm going with O'Malley. Yeah. I think with Sean O'Malley, I think obviously you look at his striking. I mean, I compare the guy in some ways to sort of like a featherweight Connor. Just the way the Connor would switch stances and utilize these combinations. Very fluid in how he does so. He's got a lot of power for the weight class as well. Uh, we saw it out against Eddie Wineland. And I certainly didn't expect him to just clean out Wineland, who was great boxing himself in the way that he did. Um, but I still think there's so many elements about him which we still don't know yet. What's going to happen if Cheeto Vera takes him to the ground? Exactly. Exactly. And Cheeto's going to. Like, Cheeto's no slouch. You know, he can he can take people to the ground. He can suddenly throw a head kick and knock you out. We've seen him do this before. We've also seen him put people, you know, he stays in people's faces. He'll have you fighting against, with your back against the cage, trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. And I've seen him do it to quite a few folks. And I think this is the test that Sean O'Malley needs. And I'm going to say it right here now. Even before I say it on my own damn show, if Sean O'Malley beats Cheeto Vera and he beats him in impressive fashion, I'm joining the the you know the team. I'm on the bandwagon. This is the this is the legit test that I needed. Gina needed for Sean O'Malley. This is it, and that's why I'm having a trouble uh, picking a fighter and why it needs to change. And this one, I really intensely have to watch fight footage. They're that they're that well matched. I think the big thing that. I've been impressed with Richito Vera because he did struggle early on in the UFC. I think David Grant yes, beat him quite early on in his career. Mm. Mm -hmm. But this recent winning streak has coincided with him being a lot more aggressive. And some people think um, he took a loss to your um, song, right? But a lot of people I, I, think... I thought he won it. I thought so too. I thought so too. When they called um, you know, his name, I was like, wait a minute. But... Was it a robbery? No. Was it a close fight? Yes. And that is what happens during close fights. The decision can go either way. But it says a lot. It says a lot about Chico. Those Jacksonville shows did have a couple of strange decisions, though. I mean, Edson Barboza and Danny Ige, um, yep. Angela Hill, and, Claudia Gedalia. Yep. It was just a horrific night of questionable or even just outlandish, you know, judgments from the judge. It, it was ridiculous. Edson Barboza beat um, Danny Ige. It, yeah, Danny Ige, he beat him. We all know that. And it's a damn shame because it was a beautiful debut. It was a hard-fought fight, and Edson should have got should have went home with that W. But, you know, it's another story. But I am picking, for now, Marlon Vera by a very – it could be another, you know, um, Sean could have won. It's going to be – I think it's going to be a controversial decision win in Cheetos Vera. I'm going to sort of hedge my bets a little bit here, so I'm going to play a little bit safe, be a bit cautious. Um, I think if Cheeto Vera wins this, it's a very close decision, possibly split. Exactly. If yep. Sean O'Malley wins, he's going to get it done in the distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, you said I think it perfectly. this is. Yeah, I think. Uh, I don't think Sean's knocking this guy out. And I don't think Cheeto's knocking him out either. I think this is just going to be a battle between two scrappy, skinny dudes. That's all. And I'm here for it. Well, you can describe that about every UFC weight class apart from heavyweight. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> and that, let me see. 
Let me see if there's anything. I don't know, guys. I'm just so excited about this one. I literally can't, like, I'm having trouble picking a winner with this one. I'm, when I tell you I'm going to be watching, like, all of their fights on Fight Pass and YouTube for this. And like I said, guys, don't be mad if I go on my show and I'm like, it's Sean O'Malley's going to win. <laughs> I think, to be honest, the one thing we're sort of maybe a bit mad about is the spoon is actually covering the camera right now. Is it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, what about yourself, Claire? Uh, yeah, I could see. Uh, I could see O'Malley getting it done in the distance. I think I'm gonna. I'll probably place my verdict pick on him. I pick O'Malley second round. I'd probably lean towards O'Malley just to sort of play it a little bit safe. Cause I mean, we got what minus three twenty-five favorite, and Cheetah V was mm-hmm. plus two fifty. So yeah. I would lean towards more O'Malley between the two, but. Tito Viva has the skills to pull the upset. He does. That's the thing. You got to worry about him. Now, quick question, fellas. If Sean gets past him, who do you think he should fight next? Is it time to kind of give him some serious, you know, content? Not that Tito isn't, but is it time to step up his competition? I'm going to go out on the limb. If Sean O'Malley wins his fight, he fights the Pedro Munoz Frankie Edgar winner. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I like it. I like it. Because either we get Pedro Munoz, who is that, again, you don't really like using the term gatekeeper, but he's that sort of base that you need to see if you are worthy of being a title challenger. Or with Frankie Edgar, he's going to be taking on one of the legends of the sport. So either way, he's going to get himself a big match out of it. Yeah, why not? I I don't see Edgar winning that fight, though. I think Munoz is going to take it fairly comfortably. I love Frankie Edgar, but he's 37 now. I don't think he's got it in him anymore. I'm surprised yeah, he, that fight yeah. is even happening. Didn't Munoz have COVID at one point? I think he did. They've had to reschedule it a couple of times. It's sort of like a sort of like a yeah. Nap. It's been in limbo forever. Yeah. I didn't even know if it was happening. It's sort of like a NAF version of Tony versus Khabib. <laughs> no, that's what that's Yair versus Khabib. <laughs> <laughs> That probably will never happen, to no. be honest. Yeah, that's our Tony Ferguson versus Khabib right there. That's just something the purists and the hardcores were just maybe never going to get. It's just the MMA gods don't want these people to fight. Only in the video games. Oh, <laughs> oh and by the way, I do agree with you, um, Carl. I think that... Um, Munoz is going to get it done against Frankie. And not only do I think Frankie's declining, I think it's easy to figure him out. I think he's a fighter that, like, yeah. he's kind of like Pettis. He's, there's a recipe and a blueprint out there to beat him. So with the decline and also the blueprint to beat him, you can get it done. And I think Pedro's going to do that. And Pedro's no slouch on the ground. If Frankie wants to go for a single leg and take him on the ground, he's going to have problems. And I think as well, part of the, part of the reason Frankie Edgar was so hard to beat early in his career was because... Yes, he would get rocked, but he was very good at recovering from takedowns, and I think he's yes. lost that speed to be able to do that. Right, and he's not as elusive. Look how no. people are figuring him out. Look at Ortega and that uppercut. He was just—he just knew he could land that. It was just—he's become predictable. Look at um, Korean Zombie mm. first round. He just went right to it. Just pop, 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 beat him up. He's becoming predictable. You white the same way we watch fight footage, they do too. And they break it down and they figure out all the patterns. You guys know this. And I think Frankie is perfect. He's kind of like Pettis. If you follow the same damn blueprint, you can beat him. And if Pedro has the wherewithal to do that, which I think he does, and he also has bombs in his hand, I think Frankie's in trouble here. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm a little worried. I, I like Frankie. He seems like a good dude, and I've been watching, you know, from day one, watching him from his debut till now. I've been watching him, so I, I yeah, really I definitely think his retirement is coming. Yes. Off. I yeah, can definitely see and I, that. And I want him in the UFC Hall of Fame. He'll be there. He'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Thank God. And we've got two potentially future Hall of Famers coming up in our main event. It is now time for us to talk about our main event. Headlining the card, UFC 252. It is Stipe Miocic who is making... Do we call this the first or the fourth defense of his UFC heavyweight title? And he's taking on a guy he knows very well indeed. It is Daniel DC Cormier. DC already announcing this is going to be the final fight of his career, and the bookmakers cannot call this one. Daniel Cormier, a slight favorite at minus 120. He gets Stephen Miocic at minus 110. And I think it's the fight really that a lot of people needed to happen. Yeah, if you look on Twitter, you'd think Stephen's a plus 3,000. Like everybody's giving Cormier right. so much, so much hype behind him in this fight. It's ridiculous. At the moment, we've got the poll on the YouTube channel right now. Uh, they've got Stipe at 58%, Daniel Cormier at okay. 42 And I know when we did this for the first fight last year, uh, it was pretty much reversed. I think you had Cormier around about 54% and Stipe at 46 So maybe a little bit of wow, recency okay. bias. Maybe people seeing what happened in that second fight and thinking, hey, Stipe has managed to find them out. I think what makes this fight interesting to me is... Firstly, the first two fights were so competitive. I mean, I know the I know the first fight ended in the first round, but you had Stipe controlling things early on, and then DC starting to find his range and working the clinch. And then second time around, DC was dominating those first two rounds, and then yeah. Stipe just slowly starting to find him out, working in the body shots, and eventually those taking the toll. Maybe not the most technical fight, but I thought that second fight was brilliant. I'm, I'm going to maybe shock you guys on this one. I'm one of those people that uh, Clay has the nerve to be talking about, that they're picking Daniel Cormier and blah, blah. You know what I mean? Mm. Clay, that's me. You're talking about me. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm picking Daniel Cormier. I picked him both times. When I tell you that I think Daniel Cormier is a better fighter than Stipe, please believe me. And here's why. In the first fight, he totally dominated him. He was outstriking him, and you saw what happened. In the second fight, the same thing was happening. The only reason why Daniel Cormier lost is because he did not protect his midsection, which is pretty smart of Stipe to expose because a lot of fighters know that he has issues with that. You know, and he has issues also with defending his left side. That's why um, John Jones was able to throw that left high kick. So I've identified two issues with DC, which is like his midsection, those body shots, and also the left high kick. And as far as I'm concerned, in the second fight, Cormier um, was winning. And I feel like he lost to himself. He was being arrogant. Mm -hmm. You guys remember how he was just, he felt too comfortable. He fell in love with his hands. And rightfully so, but Stipe's too dangerous. He should have mixed things up. He shouldn't have been arrogant. And I really think he could have won that second fight until he just started to just not pay attention to his corner and Stipe exposed like his, you know, Achilles heel, which is his midsection. I highly doubt that happens in the third fight. I also think Daniel Cormier has a chip on his shoulder mm -hmm. that about that fight. I think he's upset. I think he feels the same way I do. I hate to speak for a fighter like this, but I think he knows that he made horrible, arrogant mistakes. He was ignoring his corner. I've listened. He does not. He doesn't do that next I've fight, listened to him a couple of times. I'm sorry. sorry to, um, I think. No, cut me off. Go ahead. I've listened to him a couple of times when he does um, the Ariel Helwani show. 
And he, he's open about that as well. He's open that he got a bit complacent in that second fight. Um, and I think from what I've heard from that show as well, I think we're going to see a much more wrestling-heavy DC, especially yeah. since we've got the 25-foot cage and Stipe is not going to be able to use his movement and his striking as effectively as he would have done in the 30-footer. And Daniel has the striking advantage. I, in both fights, he was outstriking him and winning the better of the exchanges. In fact, in the last fight, I was at the bar like, man, this is the writing's on the wall. Murder, she wrote. Like, we all were like, damn, this is just killing this guy. And Well, yeah, like, if you look at all the all the fight time, there's probably like a good like, 15, 20 minutes where Daniel Cormier was winning through both yes. of the fights. Like, he was pretty much winning like probably 90% of each fight, so... Yeah, yeah that, I, that's why I think in the third fight he just cleans that up, takes things more serious. And guys, let's not forget he's telling us this is his last fight. He's gonna bring it. You oh, know, yeah. I, I, I think he's that good. I, I think he, um, he's that good. But in the middle of uh, breaking this down, I have a question for you. And I'm glad we're talking because before we called on the Skype call, I was on Twitter and people are calling Stipe the best heavyweight ever. And and um, I beg to differ because there's a man called Fedor mm -hmm. out there. Totally agree. What do you guys think? I've... Thank you. What do you guys think? I think it's casuals or newer fans that are just neglecting like Pride and the older guys back then. But what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think I think the issue I think the fact Fedor never fought in the UFC is always going to be something that people yeah. hold against him. And I think people look at his strike force run and the they sort of hold that against him as well. But I mean, you look at the guys that he's beaten in his prime. When the heavyweight division, when all the best heavyweights were fighting in Pride, you look at people like Big Nog, Crow Cop, uh, Mark Coleman, My Kevin Randleman, um, yes. Mark Hunt as well. Yes. I've always said that Fyodor's the best heavyweight, in my opinion. Me too. His resume speaks for itself. Yeah. It, yeah, a lot of people like to say, like, uh, I like to think of it like in terms of the UFC, the best heavyweight would probably be Stipe. But in mm. terms of, like, all time across all the boards and just in general i always say fedor yes and i think that's what the fans maybe need to differentiate yeah. online because i woke up this morning like huh that's fedor but maybe they mean ufc because if it's the ufc you damn right because i mean his title defenses and whatnot and just like his even his title contention when he was just beating everybody you know and, he, and then he defends that belt so, yeah, I would think that he's the best UFC heavyweight that doesn't get enough, you know, um, attention for that, you know. But I think it's Fedor. But anyway, back to yeah. the fight. How do you guys see this going? Well, I picked Steep here the first two times these guys fought. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd maybe... Oh, wow. I would probably be leaning towards him doing so again. Because, yes, you could say that this is DC's final fight. He's going to be fired up for it. But then you can also make the argument he's mentally got one foot out the door. Yeah, and also pressure mm. from that being his final. When you announce that it's your final fight, you're expected to perform. This is your final fight. There's also pressure in that. And I think as well, I think Stipe, we, we talked about JDS earlier on in the show and the improvements he's made in terms of his physique. Stipe looks absolutely shredded. Honestly, he looks like Dolph Lundgren <laughs> in the footage that I've yeah. seen of him. Yeah. And then it's like, where are you guys working out? I don't know about y'all, but COVID and pandemic has got me in the house. So for these fighters to be shredded at times when they could be sheltered in place or just having to kind of, you know, find places to work out or build gyms in their homes, it says a lot when somebody shows up shredded. 
But you know, yeah, so. I think it has to do with uh, a lot of them having a lot of money. Like I believe yeah. O'Malley, he built an octagon like in his garage or something. Like he built yeah. like an actual like sort of apex size. I think is twenty five foot. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't think he would need like a full size right now. Obviously, I don't think he need that for sparring. Anyways, I don't think he need a full cage. Right. But yeah, it makes sense. A lot of these guys can probably afford it and make their own gyms. Really. I say uh, Molly McCann did something to her garage and went out of her backyard. It looked pretty dope. I mean, not on the level of what you're saying as Sean O'Malley, but people are really out here like, I need yeah. to keep fighting, but COVID-19 wants me to shelter in place. So when I see people like Steve A and JDS in great shape, it just goes to show you their mental fortitude to keep doing something when COVID is such a hindrance, right? Well, even DC himself. I mean, if you look at some of the like DC and Alwani shows around sort of March-April time, he was he was a hefty bloke, um, to put it nicely. <laughs> and then you look at him now. I I think I read somewhere that he's actually at a lighter weight than he was for the first two fights. So these guys are both coming in in fantastic shape, and I think he he doesn't want that gut being a target. No. If he can if he can lose weight and turn that stomach into more muscle mass than gut, he'll be better off. And I'm telling you, he's preparing for all the mistakes that he's made in the past, and past being that last fight. Because he just simply got cocky. I, I truly believe he's the better fighter than um, Stipe. But go ahead. If there's, if there's an aspect of Stipe, which I think a lot of people may be overlooking somewhat, I was reading the mm-hmm. stat, he's taken down every one of his opponents yeah. in the UFC, which I was really surprised by. So wow. if it does turn into a grappling match, it might not be as one-sided to DC as people think it is. Yeah, isn't Stipe like a um, a wrestler in his own right? Like I know of him as a boxer, but he's got the the wrestling chops and background to to do it correctly and also to like defensively wrestle if 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 Daniel wants to put that pressure on him. I believe he was a state wrestling champion, and of course we saw against Francis, he dominated that fight on the ground. Yeah. Thank you. So you know, DC's. I'm not. I'm not saying this is going to be an easy fight because I'm picking DC so strongly, but I am. I am thinking that. In every facet of the game, DC can get him if he stays focused and doesn't get arrogant. And I like what you're saying, Carl, is that I did not know this. This is a fun fact for me that you put me on to. I didn't know he was shedding that weight. You know, it leads me to believe he doesn't want those body shots. He wants muscle under there. It might affect his durability, though. I've always been the believer that carrying excess weight helps improve a fighter's durability. Really? Um, wow. So I would be interested to see if DC still has that ability to take a punch in the way that he did mm-hmm. in those first two fights, because that turned into a that second fight especially turned into a brawl, and they were taking some big shots on both sides. Well, you could. That's why the corner um, Daniel's corner was screaming at him, and 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 then even during in between rounds, they were giving him um, you know advice, mm-hmm. and he was doing the polar opposite. It's it's almost as if arrogance and his ego completely took over and he lost the fight and i highly doubt that happens again but guys question i'm not well versed in like uh, certain things like peds and like fighter cage you really think that smaller cage is going to play a factor in some of these fights or whatnot like what oh yes uh well i've been reading yeah. i've been reading the stats when it comes to fights which took place at the apex and at fight island yeah i need to do and that. there was a bigger number of fights which were finishing by KO, uh, which happened in a smaller cage. And I think as well, as mentioned before, I think Steve is not going to have the chance to move and to get out the way of DC's wrestling yeah. in the way that he would do so in a 30-footer. 
Yes. And I do believe Stipe was slightly like complaining about that. Mm. And then he, you could tell he's, you know, he was just like, whatever, he's just going to train for it. But I do remember him making some questionable remarks about that and Daniel kind of enjoying the fact that it could be smaller. But like I said, I'm not well, I haven't looked up the stats, but I keep hearing that on Twitter, like, oh man, these smaller cages is why people go into bed. And, you know, I try not to listen to like the Twitter theorists and stuff. You don't know who these people are talking, you know, (laughs) so I wait until like I'm on a pod or with more um, fighters that like analyze fighters like you know fights like I do and I just really need to like divulge into this whole fight um size thing because I'm hearing it quite often and that could be a huge factor in a in a in a Daniel Cormier win a lot I like to think the the smaller cage I think that did play a little bit of a part in the Nganu fight that's a good example of the smaller cage he couldn't even move really backed up and he was already at the cage Cage. within like three steps so Yeah, I think it definitely does have something to do with the size, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So Definitely very intriguing. Go ahead. A lot of people are talking about this fight in terms of long-term legacy. Most people are mm-hmm. already saying that the person who wins this fight is the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. My question is, what does it do in the short term? Because if DC... DC's already said this is going to be his last fight. So the likelihood is that Francis is going to be fighting for the vacant belt possibly against Stipe again. However, Stipe has also been mentioning he's had a lot of issues with his eyesight. Yeah. So there's a big chance that both of them could retire, regardless of the result. So what happens to the yeah. heavyweight division then? I think I think Daniel retires, but Stipe stays for like one or two more. I don't think his reign will be that long, but I still think he wants that money fight. Did you notice that Stipe's always chasing Tyson Fury mm-hmm. or mentioning John Jones? Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, he's gonna want. He he's the UFC does not pay well, and even for a champion like Stipe, who is not being promoted heavily and is just not, he does not have the gift to gab. I believe somebody like him is gonna want a payday before he leaves, and I and I pay attention. He's calling out Tyson Fury. He's testing his water with like boxing and yada yada yada, and he's and he's putting it out there to see if people like the idea of it. I don't be surprised if he pushes for like a John Jones fight. Or whatnot. You know what I mean? I think he wants one super fight. I think he wants to test himself, and I think he wants big money. I still want the Stephen Strew very much. <laughs> <laughs> you still mad? <laughs> I don't even think Strew will fight again, to be honest. I wouldn't I come back after Struve. that. Yeah. yeah Didn't I Ben Rothwell damn near sterilize him? Like, Kicked him in the groin about three or four times. times. Yeah, <laughs> that poor man. Can he even have kids? That was one of the saddest fights you can watch because he was pretty much coaxed into keep mm. on going to get knocked out. I much. know. It's a horrific fight. And I just feel yeah. I, I Don't laugh, but I'm like, can he have kids for real? Like, that looked really bad. And Ben <laughs> Rothwell is so huge. Can you imagine a kick in that area from such mm. a big man? My heart well, broke, and then only for him to get kicked, you know, beat up later. <laughs> He's got crazy durability. I remember Matt Mitrione versus Caratonov won. Like, that was a. Nut shot in the first like 20 oh, seconds. Yes, that, that was, was like a, a Bellator man. And he was out. He couldn't even get up from the first oh, that one. Poor baby. He was done. Every so often that does happen. I remember an old school fight, some blonde fighter years, long time ago. Same thing happened to him. I forget his name, but oh, be, you know, I'm a woman, guys. I don't know anything <laughs> about that equipment. I just, it breaks my heart to see them thriving in pain like that. But Speaking yeah. of Mitrione, he got uh, knocked out. By Tim uh, Johnson. I think. 
Yeah, Tim I know, Johnson. by Bellator's Ben Rothwell. I was like, this guy reminds me of Ben Rothwell. Like, what a... <laughs> the way Johnson controlled him on the ground, I mean, Matron had no um, output, no, no nothing. Yeah, Tim Johnson, I think he recently got, like, his first knockout ever, I'm pretty sure, with his hands. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, Bellator has some anomalies like that in the heavyweight division you'll see. Like, Chuck Congo, he's doing really, really good for a while there as well until he ran into Bader and got, like, poked in the nose or whatever. That was bad. Bellator in itself is, is an anomaly. It's just so... It's just, <laughs> I lo- but I love it, though. I watch every card, but I just be like, wow, this is just such a difference, such a stark difference from the UFC, but... I like it. I see people complaining. Only thing I don't like is like the start times and the delays. But other oh, than yeah. that, it's fighting, bro. Sign me up, you know. Carl, did you watch uh, Valerie's fight? Uh, Valerie Lareda. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't the most impressed for the majority of the fight, but good knockout. Yeah, yeah. Same. I think there's some Same. things that she needs to iron out. It reminds me sort of a little bit like Mackenzie Dern when she first fought. That's the best way I could sort of describe her. Someone is going to expose Valerie. Mm. Yeah. So Bellator better keep her developing her if they want her to be the I think they should give her like a sort of like a Heather Hardy. I'm thinking maybe that makes sense. Sort of a level a little bit. I could see that. Because Heather can box and she's not going to, they're not going to go to the ground. But Heather is a pretty decent boxer. Yeah, I think she's definitely. And there's a marketability about that fight as well, which I think Mm -hmm. Bellator will lean into. Um, they, well, they better keep giving her cans because I saw some, you know, like some issues with her striking oh, and yeah. like her defense and especially her footwork at some point. She's lucky that her opponent, no disrespect to her opponent, I don't remember her name. She had trouble cutting her off. When a woman can, when she faces someone that can cut her off strategically, that's not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> so. uh, just Because the way her footwork looked, she was like bouncing around the cage. It looked like almost sort of a little bit. It looked like she was sort of... Don't want to say sort of like CM Punk when he first ran at Mickey Gall, but it did sort of look like that. It sort of looked like she was just bouncing around trying to get out of range. I mean, no disrespect when I say this, but you all know that I speak. Y'all, if y'all have listened to my show, I speak quite frankly. I I, what I saw was like somewhat of a amateur fighter that was fighting in a professional leagues. That's just Mm -hmm. my honest take on it. And she needs more development. And she needs to fight more cans so that she can develop the star power and to get better at fighting. No disrespect to Valerie whatsoever. Sort of the MVP approach. I got yeah. Yep, they need it. She needs it. And But I will give her that right hand was mean. Ooh, and it was accurate. You got to give it to her for that accuracy with that right hand. It was it was gorgeous. Just getting this back on subject since we... Uh, I think we were, I think we were <laughs> talking about Steve versus Daniel Cormier. <laughs> yeah, we went over yeah, to somehow went to We somehow went to Bellator and like halfway around the world. <laughs> Obviously, Gina, I get the impression that you're going to be favoring DC for this one. Do you have a round? Oh, my God. You guys are killing me. Rounds. Oh, my God. I, fellas, do you mind if I tap out on this one? I have no idea what round. I just think Daniel's going to win. And what about... This is too hard. What about yourself, Claire? <laughs> yeah, that's only how I go. I normally never say the round. Like I me said, too. I said Cerrone by decision in the Conor McGregor fight, so you should never take... My picks too seriously. Did, I'm glad your camera's not working because my face just dropped. But... <laughs> Did you pick Felicia Spencer to win as well? Yeah, I picked Felicia as well. We were oh, hyping boy. that. We were hyping that hard. We actually got into a lot of trouble for that. Because apparently we were giving Felicia too much praise. <laughs> oh. well, yeah, I remember the whole weekend. You well, were I... trashing Nunez so hard, man. <laughs> 
felt so bad for her. I picked um, I picked Nunez, and I was told that I just was not aware of Felicia's greatness. And I thought <laughs> I, I I was well aware of her greatness. I just still picked the better fighter. But I, I said first two rounds. I I gave Felicia Spencer praise. I thought she was durable. I thought she had decent level wrestling, but her all round skill set just wasn't enough. Yeah, and, and also, too, we fell in love with her performance against Cyborg. Like, yeah. she really brought it to that lady. And nobody brings it to Cyborg. Everyone cowers when they fight her. So I think that um, performance kind of made us think, like, oh, that she's, I hate talking like this, but better than what we thought. Because yeah. that performance was so valiant, you know? But she she's another one. Like, she got that opportunity because that, that division is so shallow. And we forget that, too. Mm-hmm. Like... It's not even in the new. It's not even in the game. game. Thank you. If the if the division <laughs> had competitors, she wouldn't have never fought for that. Um, she would never fought for the title. She wasn't ready. As for myself, I picked Steep here first two times. I'm gonna have to go against the grain, and I'm gonna have to pick Steep here third time. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna wow. pick Steep. I'm gonna say first round. I think the I think the cage is gonna make a huge impact on this fight. I either think it's gonna be the first round by Stipe, or it's gonna be probably uh, a lot of wrestling by uh, DC. But I could see Stipe getting out of some of those early some of those early takedowns. I could see him maybe deflecting some of them and standing back up because yeah, he, uh, he is pretty mm-hmm. underrated when it comes to that. Like a lot of that fight, the second fight was on the feet not much mm-hmm. was on the on the ground i feel like there was probably more clinch work in the first fight to be honest yeah. but and and don't forget his performance against francis mm-hmm. he was wrestle boxing mm-hmm. he was boxing mm-hmm. keeping him at a distance but also going in for a takedown here and there and eating some hard shots but stipe kind of reminded me that he's got the wrestling chops to to also contend with someone else that has wrestling chops and that would be daniel cormier so I just think again, Daniel is the better wrestler. Yeah, I think the small octagon is going to take a big part of it, and uh, probably the early rounds. I feel like somebody's going to have to get used to it. I, I don't know who, but somebody's probably not going to be used to it. Like, one hundred percent, they're not going to be fully ready. Well, hopefully, someone has that in their garage as well, just like yeah. Sonal Malley. Like, honestly, when you said that, I remember thinking, if I was rich and I was a fighter. I would just create that whole facility in my backyard so that I, mm-hmm. there would be no surprises, ring rust, or anything. Mm-hmm. Tony Ferguson's like probably I recreated. Tony Ferguson's probably building that in his backyard as we speak. I I can't <laughs> blame. I'd do the same damn thing. I'd be like, the apex is now in my backyard and be trading. Yeah. Just you know, like I, I get it. And it's smart. It is. It's very smart. So I think if both of them prepared for that smaller cage, which I'm sure they did, who knows? Who knows what we're gonna see? So on the whole, what's our opinion of UFC 252? I mean, we trashed the prelims a little bit, but main card <laughs> looks fantastic. Yeah, and then, you know, guys, we're all purists. I, I, you guys sound like people that have been watching the sport for a long time and, and are like me. You watch the sport from the time, the, the fight card from the time it begins till it ends. And, you know, these, these prelims look like caca, but these kids are going to yes. bring it. You never know. You never know. We could be have a nice, fun night with these prelims. I mean, like UFC 224, which was, mm-hmm. it looked like an awful card on paper. That turned into one of my favorite cards. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, that's what happens. That's why, like, when I see prelims that are trashy, I'll just be like, oh, this sucks. But I'm, like, yeah. in my heart, I'm not that upset because it's like, 
those people, sometimes it's just good matchmaking, even though you don't know who's fighting or these are debuts. And the next thing you know, we're sitting there like, who's that guy? Or, man, that was a good fight. So we shall see. I'm not going to shit on them too. Visually, they look bad. But mm. on paper on Saturday, we might be some happy campers. Who knows? Let's certainly hope so, because I think we've got a compelling main event. I think Ankalaya versus Kutalaba could be very entertaining. Ooh. I'm intrigued to see um, what GDS does to try and improve up against Royce and Strike. I think that could be a great strikers yes. battle. Um, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Um, and I hope the fans can certainly appreciate that. Um, I think we've got a few great events coming up. Obviously, UFC 252. And then a month later, Adesanya versus Costa. And you know what they've been like on social media. Cool. Oh, my God. that, that uh... It's been so weird on social media with him. He posted like know, a what's with... deep fake with like... Izzy is like a girl or something. It was so weird. It's it the strangest things I've so ever strange. seen. <laughs> yeah, like well, a lot of us don't get his humor, but it's working for him. Like it's, you know, like we're we're dialed in. But a lot of times we're like, what's he saying though? What's I definitely think it's him. The broken English and everything. You can tell it's him on there. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's it's just it's just a different form of humor too. Like I, I honestly don't get it, but at the same time, I'm like the, the the kids like it. You know, they're on Twitter, they love it. I'm I'm looking at him like he's a weirdo, but it's working. You know. Speaking of weirdo, you seen Izzy's hair pink recently? Hat. The pink hair. <laughs> what the hell is that, man? He's it, it looks good on him. It brings out his complexion, but it does. You know, I don't know what he's going through. You know, maybe he's just wanted to change. But I like the Dennis to... Rodman look that everybody's doing lately. Though the white hair looks a yeah. lot like Dennis Rodman. I love it. It is. I I love it too. And then it's like he. When it comes to Izzy, I don't really care what he does. He's so good in the cage. Yes. He's one of those people that I ignore his little antics because I hate his Twitter page. Like. Some of the stuff he posts is so shocking and so gross, you know? So I kind of just ignore his shenanigans and just wait for him to fight. But he's a great, great champ. And that's something that we can all look forward to when we cover that preview show next month. Um, this has been the INC preview show. Mine has been Carl Bainbridge. Somewhere on planet Earth is Claire Richardson. Yeah, I'm coming soon. Focused on MMA on point. Hope to... Yes. By the time this comes out, the announcement will probably be out like tomorrow. They'll probably announce everything. But yeah, pay attention to that, boys. And I want to say a big thank you as well to Gina for joining us on Short Notice. Yeah, so thank you for having me, fellas. And, and also for those listening, if you like what you heard, please listen to the WOCast. We uh, have a new episode, I believe, every Monday and Thursday. And it's a lot, a lot of fun. And once again, fellas, thank you so much for having me. This was so much You're fun. You're very welcome. You've been a fantastic guest.